I'm assuming, and you tell me if I'm wrong, yeah. a lot of your success came from the repetition and the foundation that you built as a football player on mm -hmm. how to be successful there and apply it over to your business success now. Is that true or false? This is episode number 10 of the Ask the BCE Say. Show. <laughs> it's live, Mark. We got to keep going. <laughs> Uh, today's a good day, guys. We um, I'm up here in Mile High Sports Talks uh, Radio, and I got a guest. My um, I'm super excited about this guest. His name is Mark Jackson, a uh, ex-professional Bronco wide receiver. He's part of the Three Amigos. Uh, I'm sure you talk about that all the time, right? All the time. Um, but super excited about it, and I'm really excited about to talk about what you what you learned in football. A nine-year career span. Yes, which that's a, that's a really good career. And and I, I obviously I did some research before we sat down. Nice. So, man, you had a really good career, man. So it props a, to that for sure. It was a different way of getting there, but it turned out really well. I uh, I was a walk-on at Purdue University, so you're, you're talking about being in Nebraska and Lincoln being the pro team, basically. That's right. Uh, tongue in cheek of Nebraska, but you know Purdue University. Not really a powerhouse uh, football team, uh, a football school. It's an engineering school. Yeah. And uh, I just love the sport of football. So I, I, I was a walk-on there. So for people that don't know what a walk-on is, uh, whenever I'm doing talks, I'll ask people, uh, raise your hand if you've seen the movie Rudy. And of course, everybody raises their hand. Everybody saw Rudy, right? And I'll tell everybody, hey, I was the black Rudy at Purdue. <laughs> so a guy that had a lot of ambition, loved the sport of football, but not very much talent. So. That's literally what's, what happened in 1981 was I just walked on and was a blocking dummy and, you know, sure. uh, never really had any potential of uh, playing football. And just from the process of showing up, keep showing up, keep showing up and, and the, the passion that I have for the sport, uh, I got better. So repetition is the mother of skill, yes? Absolutely. Yeah. And that hard work. Hard work. I'm sure you That's probably had to outwork most. Well, there's a lot of guys that quit. So... You know, at Purdue, I think we had like 115 guys that, that you know, tried out for the team my freshman year, um, of which, you know, if you count all four years, maybe about 60, 70 of them were scholarship guys. So 40 guys that were in my shoes that just wanted the glitz and glamour, maybe getting a chance to get on the field and love the game, and they quit. Right. And that was, as I, as I look at life, as I look at business, for the blue-collar uh, entrepreneurs, uh, that's what happens a lot of time is people quit, isn't it? Oh man, 90% of all small businesses fail within five years. 70% fail within one year. There's a lot of quitting going on in, in entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So from Purdue, obviously you made the team. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so uh, you got, um, did you get drafted to the Broncos? I did, six rounds. So um, I quit my sophomore year at Purdue, came back out my junior year when the whole coaching staff left. Uh, it wasn't until my senior year that I got a chance to even get on the field. And uh, in 1986, I was drafted in the sixth round by the Broncos, which I don't think they even have six rounds of the draft anymore. Hey Amen. I would tell you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at, at that time, six round mean, meant that you had a, probably about a 30% chance of making the team. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had about 15 receivers, literally of which 13 of us was trying out for two positions. Two spots. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, Vance Johnson and, and, and Steve Watson pretty much had their spots locked up. We had two more active roster spots mm -hmm. uh, that I think the rest of us were vying for. But, yeah, made the team. 
All right, let me quick stop you real quick because I'm really curious on that variable of from college, from being a walk-on, there's only so many spots, right? And, and you just, from what you said is you didn't have all the talent in the world, you uh, were undersized, right? For, yeah. Right? So what's the variable that made you successful in college and then made you successful to make the team on the Broncos, just to make the team, make one of those two spots out of the 13? What's that variable? I think one, there's lots, of course. Uh, a lot of it's luck. The variable that no, uh, most people don't take in consideration. Controlled luck? Well, luck is when opportunity meets preparation, right? That's a good de definition, of that. and that's controlled luck. Uh, the fact of the matter is uh, there were guys that were trying out for the team that year that were much more talented than I was. So Joe Thomas, for instance, played at Mississippi Valley State. He had 100 and I think 15, 120 catches his senior year. I have 40 catches for my entire career at Purdue. <laughs> so... Uh, he can obviously catch the football. Uh, Butch Johnson was a veteran in the league. So he obviously had shown, I think he was eight or nine years into his career. So timing, when I say luck, luck is based on timing, it's based on preparation, it's based on, and I think for me, uh, one of the determining factors for me, uh, I believe was the fact that I just, I love football and I kept showing up. I was very tenacious. Right. And, and that's that's really the key is, is showing it's up. 90% of it just showing up and working hard, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So. You made the team and nine-year NFL career in the Broncos, and I think one of the things I think I would say most people know about you would be the drive. Yeah, that was my rookie year. That was your rookie year? Yeah. What a rookie year, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rookie year, we go to the AFC Championship game in Cleveland, and they're throwing dog biscuits at us, and it was like surreal. I mean, it's never happened before in NFL history, and it probably will never happen again, where they allowed fans to bring dog biscuits into the stadium. So that whole end zone of uh, the dog pound was covered with dog biscuits, man. And they were throwing That's them at insane. us the entire game. I mean, like, is this legal? <laughs> you hear this <laughs> on your helmet. Uh, yeah, I don't think biscuits. they, they <laughs> won't be allowed to do that nowadays, man. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was that was crazy. And, and you know, playing in Denver, it was a blessing. So uh, I might use the word luck or I might use the word blessing um, synonymously because – you know, John Elway, just the Mile High City in, in the period in the, of time, that, that timing again, that we're here. Uh, a lot of great players coming together and doing some really cool stuff. Yeah, it was, a, it was yeah. amazing year. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but yeah, nine year career. Here's what I'm, you know, I think a lot of people know Mark Jackson from the Mark Jackson Bronco player, the Three Amigos. What I'm most curious about, because I, I love business. I love business the way you love football. That's awesome. I love it. It, that's why you're so successful these guys look well sometimes it's to a hindrance these, so yeah. they're like if I'm gone for a little bit and I have time to think yeah. they're, they're worried that I'm going to start another company <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a serial serial entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. Yeah. I yeah. think there's so, another guy like uh, Warren Buffett kind of <laughs> like that uh, another Nebraska not, kid not, right is he from Nebraska yeah he? Uh, oh my great. god oh you are going to get 50 lashes to not know that Warren Buffett still lives in the same house in Omaha Nebraska no kidding for his life, basically. Yeah, we're taking a trip to Nebraska. Guys. There you so go. See Warren Buffett. The show's going on the road. But uh, so on the business side, because you do a lot of stuff now, Mark. A lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of volunteering. I've seen you do a lot of stuff. Your own business stuff. Uh, well, catch us up to date on what are you doing now, and then 
Then I'll ask you a few questions after that. But like, tell me everything you got going on. So I have on. a radio show first thing in the morning, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. right here on Mile High Sports Radio. So this is, uh, this is the facility for Mile High Sports Radio. And as you see all these different uh, magazine covers, Mile High Sports Magazine. Uh, so I do a show from 7 to 9. Uh, get out of that show. Usually uh, I'm working on a, a, a podcast or a, a live that I'm doing myself, like book calls that I do. Yep. That's one of my non-revenue generating uh, activities that I do, lots of. We have <laughs> a few of those, don't we? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I'm doing charities, but uh, probably my passion, I also work with a painting company, um, kind of a spokesperson for them. Okay. Uh, but probably my, my biggest uh, baby, my baby business, I guess I should say, is Social Business, which is a company I work with out of Dallas, Texas called Evolve. Yes. And the premise of that company is to, uh, to buy one, give one business model, social business, that uh, helps feed children worldwide that are suffering from malnutrition. Man, that's really big. And I didn't know much about a social business. I didn't really know until you, yeah. you know, explained that to me just a few minutes ago before the show started. That what a great concept, man, especially with food. Because, you know, you were talking about the other businesses that did buy one, get one shoes and clothing and glasses, but right. man, hunger out there is an epidemic. So. So how does that even work? So someone would tell me how, like, if I wanted to go and buy your food, how does how do I do that first of all? And then how does that food get distributed to people in need? Or my videographer might need some food here. Oh, there you go. <laughs> how does that how does that work? Right He's now? holding. It. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, I love buy one get one. I love social business. It's really a, a a business model that's the next evolution of business, I believe. And you're going to start to see a lot more companies use this business model because millennials absolutely. Um, insist on it so in other words if they're going to buy something and you'll find that most human beings if they're going to buy something and they have a choice of buying something that will benefit solely them or if they can make the same purchase of the same product that can actually benefit someone else they'd make a purchase so there's been study and research around it right but uh, in this particular case there's six million children that die every single year of malnutrition so much like any other business um, social business uses a marketplace that's already established Right. So it's not a donation. Right. Uh, donations, unfortunately, shrink and expand based on the economy. So in a good economy, everybody's giving at their church. Donating they're they're donating item. to, yeah, yeah. Uh, Race for the Cure or Muscular Dystrophy, whatever your favorite charity is. But, you know, if the economy gets bad, then people kind of get a little tighter on their money. Right. But guess what? If you have a product or service that's already found in the marketplace, they're still going to purchase shoes or they're still going to eat or right. wear glasses. So here's an opportunity for a social business to continue to expand based on the economy of that, that product. So uh, much like any other uh, product, we do an affiliate marketing program. We just so, started one of those actually too. There yeah. you go. Tell me about there it. There you go. So buy, buying online. So right. affiliate marketing is is the way, you know, there's a small company uh, that started with affiliate marketing. It's called Amazon. <laughs> small company. I mean, uh, when Jeff Bezos started Amazon. He's used affiliate marketing. He used affiliate marketing, and yeah. he still does. I mean, you can still be an affiliate of Amazon, which means that all you're doing is pointing people to a website, and for that referral, for you marketing their product or service, they'll give you a small percentage, anywhere from 2 to 3% in Amazon. Right. Nike does it. Um, Bombas does it. Every company is using affiliate. Even your company. We have our company. I'm gonna, here's a plug. I'm going to make a plug. Body make Rival. Plug. We have an affiliate program for Body Rival. So it's something like that. There you go. But yeah. But doesn't that make sense? If, if I like Body Rival, yeah. I'm going to make gonna a buy a supplement. I'm going yeah, yeah. to buy a supplement. I make referrals to my friends because if I'm looking, if I'm using a product, product's working for me, mm -hmm. people are always going to ask me why. 
hey, what, 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 are, you, what are you doing? Oh, I, I eat this. And usually it's, you know, meh. You know, people will go with that. You get a little bit more passionate about saying, I eat this when someone goes there and you get a little paycheck coming back. Oh, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> There's obviously a motive there. Right. And actually, you guys, let, can we link up? Is it okay if we link up your, your social company on where absolutely. anybody watching here can go yeah. there to buy food? Because absolutely, we buy food every day, right? And I would love to buy food from a place that sends food to someone in need. Absolutely. You know, it's, you know, it's the same thing. I'm going to buy it absolutely. anyway. Right? So, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, if we could link link that up, that would be awesome. Yeah, nice. so through through affiliate marketing, uh, basically it's just the acquisition of customers. And once again, if a product works for you, you'll continue to use it. And that's the benefit of growing a network. That's the benefit of, of social businesses. That number can grow. So in this room of 100 people, if 20 people eat it and they like it, and you know next month they order again, some of those people may start to get results after three months. You and I know nutrition is not like drugs. Oh, no. Drugs are looking for instant results and they're symptom specific, right? For, but nutrition is basically supporting your body and it takes a little more time. So over 30 days, 60 days, over 90 day period of time, a few of those people are starting to look better and feel better. Other people are attracted to that and now that 20 becomes 40 people. Yep becomes 80 you know and the reality is we are what we eat like our body generates millions I think it was billions of cells every day so Absolutely. like we literally take that food and then we are that right? we're, so. we're a new person I think every six or eight months or something like right. that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great and, you know, I'm gonna be I'm sure we got some questions coming through but I'm gonna be a little yeah. bit selfish here and I have a couple of questions I really wanted to ask you. okay um, I want you know let's I want to dig into one that's a little bit more uh, emotional and personal is I believe you can learn a lot from failure, and I feel like failure is my biggest learning tool. Give me one example of how failure, one of you maybe have had a failure, yeah. that, and what has that done for your life, or how's that impacted your life? I just, funny you mentioned that, I just, uh, I just posted on my Facebook page, I can't think of what the quote is now, something to the effect of, uh, we're reading a book called The Obstacle is Away. Right. Uh, by Ryan Holiday, and we're literally just into it, like the third or fourth chapter now. But the essence of the book is saying, sometimes you can find a treat or a jewel in failure or in an obstacle. So instead of shrinking uh, up against this big, huge obstacle or turning your tail and going the other way, you actually continue to approach that obstacle to look at it from a different perspective and figure out how you can find the jewel that's found in it. And for me, that failure, the biggest failure I had in business, I was very successful in real estate uh, early on in my career. Um, but I opened a restaurant and my agent at the Who's time, uh, <laughs> my agent told me, Mark, you know how to make a small fortune in the restaurant business? I said, no, I, you know, how do you do it? I want to learn. <laughs> Start with a large one. In other words, if you have a large fortune, you're going to lose a lot of it right. and make a small fortune. <laughs> in a restaurant. I was going to say, don't I didn't, do it. <laughs> I didn't explain that to my crowd. <laughs> yeah. In other words, don't do it. And unfortunately, a lot of times as, as human beings, uh, in sports, I modeled other players. Sure. But most of us learn uh, through modeling, through what we see or hear. But most of us learn through trial and error. So, of course, I moved ahead with that restaurant business. And about 16 months later, I was out of about $130,000 as we were closing the doors to that business. And what I learned from that business is you have to be present in your business. Um, there is a time where hopefully you can turn your business into, instead of a residual income, a business, a small business, especially for those blue collar entrepreneurs, is simply owning a job. 
that's a mindset that 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 I like for people to understand. Uh, when you start a business, doesn't mean that you're you're Warren Buffett. Right. Day one. You're being that glorified business owner going on trips to the beach and Yeah. Calling from your cell phone and find out what the profits are this week. No. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Just like anything, it's based on over time. And I learned about hockey stick growth. And we talked about Amazon. Uh, Google Amazon and look at their uh, stock market prices. Google uh, Apple, Google Microsoft. Uh, every one of those companies started with like a flatline growth. Look looked like nothing was happening. As a matter of fact, with Amazon, Jeff Bezos, uh, they lost. I remember because it was during the dot-com era, and I was in New York at the time when Amazon started. Uh, so I was kind of privy to Wall Street and everything that was going on. I was interested in that. And they, was, they lost money every time they sold a book. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. So what kind of business model is that, right? It's attention. Yeah, but he knew that yeah. there's, there's two, if you, if you drew the, the chart, this graph, there's two timelines. One is the amount of uh, the rate at which we're losing money, right. and one is the rate at which we're making money. And literally, at some point in time, Amazon reached that break-even point. And since then, the hockey stick growth has made Jeff Bezos. I think I did some numbers. Uh, I looked it up, and he's making I think two hundred and I think it was two hundred and sixty thousand dollars a minute or an hour, an hour. I mean, but he had to put in his time and take his lumps to get there, right? Well, that's so, over a course of what eighteen years or twenty years or however long it's been. Yeah. Uh, so this, this restaurant that you opened up and you brought it up here. Oh man, I want to know. So, so I had 35 I mean, hormone infested kids working for me <laughs> and, and I thought it was an investment. So uh, every, every week, every month, uh, it seemed like every day now that I look back at it, um, I, was, I was taking money out of my account for band-aids. Mark, we need more uh, uh, TVs. Mark, we need uh, the new assist. Mark, we need new floors. So I put in a whole new floors. Uh, in the restaurant, forty thousand dollars for floors, right? Yeah. Uh, hardwood floors, not just having the best. <laughs> which I learned, you know, as an entrepreneur, you don't have to be the best. Yeah. You just you have to give great service, and you, and you have to do what you say you're going to do. Right. And uh, I hired someone to manage that company for me, and that was my first mistake, because I think you said it in, in your having skin in the game. Uh, no one cares about your business more than you do. Yep. So employees, unfortunately, they're always just passing through, especially in the restaurant business. If you ask any waiter, wait staff of any restaurant, hey, how do you like your career as a waiter? Oh, I'm just it's doing this now. until yeah. you know I get out of college or I get a job or you know. So no one really takes pride in that business, and I learned that. So I, I learned that $130,000 was a great learning experience sure. uh, of how businesses work and what it takes to be successful. Right. And you hit it on the nail, man. And I've talked a little bit about it too. Is uh, and it's human nature. Like, I don't fault anybody for it. A, a waiter, a wait staff, even the manager, manager. Like everybody has bills, and that's what they think about, and that's what they worry about. Is how do I get my bills paid? What, what they don't understand is sometimes they work themselves out of a job. It's like if that company doesn't succeed, mm. they're not going to be working there. Yeah, you know. So, um, do we have any uh, any life questions that we want to throw out right now? Nope. nope. How about the, uh, you know, actually, I got a couple more for Mark, and then I'll, we'll do that one that uh, came across last week. Is, uh, all right, so that's failure. Now, tell me about, yeah. like, um, I'm assuming, and you tell me if I'm wrong, yeah. a lot of your success came from the repetition and the foundation that you built as a football player mm. on how to be successful there and apply it over to your business success now. Is that true or false? True. Uh, success leaves clues. So... Some of the, it doesn't always translate, sports and athletics didn't always translate directly to business. 
but there are some principles of sports that apply to business, that apply to life, actually. And one of the principles uh, that we talked about was time, right? So, you know, most people quit before they have success. So the Yard Darby story, you know, I think it's like four inches from goal, the story about the guy who was mining here in Colorado and uh, left everything uh, back on the East Coast to come out here and make his fortune and just couldn't make it happen. And he quit, sold all the equipment and moved back to Pennsylvania. And one week later, they hit the biggest gold mine strike in Colorado history from his mine because he quit right before, I think it was four inches or, or eight inches from uh, a main vein that he was missing. Uh, for me, uh, the time the time element is that, that, um, that, um, that feeling, like even in the restaurant business, uh, I fired everybody and I went in and I started working the business myself. So I started applying some of those principles of like showing up on a, on a daily basis, right? Uh, doing what I say I'm gonna do, right? And giving great service, right? Um, and our, the, the restaurant started making money. But I knew that within a, probably about 60 days, I was going to have to report back to football camp right. and go back to my job. Your real job, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> at, at which time I would probably get the same results that I got before when I wasn't there. Right. That's why I shut down the, the, the restaurant. Yeah. But I really believe if I had stuck with it, right now it's the melting pot. So if you're in Colorado and you're heading down Santa Fe and Bowls, I know exactly that where thing's, the melting pot's at. It's yeah. been there forever since, since, uh, since I shut what down. What's the name of your restaurant? It's called Scribbles. Scribbles. We're known for cold beer or cold wings and hot beer. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's no wonder what I'm doing. No, it's, it's crazy, man. It's crazy that uh, every time I drop, I refuse to go in there. I've had a couple different friends of mine that uh, couples that have asked me, "Hey, you want to go and hang out at the Melting Pot?" And I was like, yeah. "I have not walked into that building since I left that." I building. bet, man, because so, it's. It hurts. I don't care how much money you lose, if the it's a million part. dollars or ten dollars. $10. Right. It's the failure part that hurts. And yeah. it's, it's hard to go back and look at, it's hard to go back and look at what you did wrong. Because here's what I preach big time is, if I'm an owner of a company, no matter what happens in that company, if I have an employee still, if I have a fire, I don't know, whatever problem, it's Who's my responsible? fault. Who's it's responsible? my fault. Right. And if it doesn't succeed, it's my fault, not my yeah. employee's fault, it's yeah. my fault. Absolutely, so absolutely. It's hard to go back. And so yeah, I've learned that, and, and I've used some of those those principles. Um, uh, in football, you have to show up every day. You don't practice every other day. Yeah. You know, you've been in athletics. You know that. You've, this, it's not even. It's a mindset where it's it's not even a question of if I show up. Right. You know what I mean? So of course I'm going to show up. It, what it, now it determines how long am I going to stay there and work really hard? And of course I'm going to be <laughs> successful. That's a, that's another mindset. Never go never go into a business with, uh, you want to have an exit strategy, long term exit strategy for success. <laughs> you know, I, I went in with the concept of franchising, like you have. Sure. You know this this concept of Scribbles Restaurant. We have butcher block paper with crayons on it. That was the concept that started. Oh, that's another thing in business that just another tidbit. Start if you're going to start a business, don't get don't get caught up in the minutia of having it work out exactly in your business plan or whatever but get because that stops people from starting a lot of times get started and understand that your initial plan is not necessarily the plan that's going to get you there and I've read that in so many books nine times out of ten it'll never be the <laughs> yeah. yeah so I mean when I made money in that restaurant we took the butcher block paper off yeah. And we, we went from 80% food, 20% booze, to 80% booze, 20% food, right? Now we just got bar food, finger food. You gotta foods. make changes, man. And we made profits, Yeah. right? So if you can, it's, it's kind of a plan, do, review. If you can do like a, 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 another analogy is a, 
the airplane that takes off in Denver heading to sunny San Diego right now. It's off course, I think, 80, 90% of the time before it lands safely right? in San Diego. Yeah. I use There's analogy, course corrections. A ship in, a, in the sea, if you're sailing to another continent, you better have a map, otherwise you're going to get lost. Oh, there you go, man. Yeah, so, you know, you were talking about time earlier and how uh, important time, you know what we were talking about is how important time is in general. That's your biggest asset, right? Yeah, is time. it is. And, on, and spending your time on things that actually are important, that actually matter. And uh, we're talking about uh, uh, how I was, I was telling you how I was like uh, basically a fireman a lot of yeah. times where I'm just putting Second out fire activities, and, right? Yeah, yeah. Tell me, so how do you mitigate that in your day-to-day to be successful? Because if you spend all your time worrying about putting out fires, doing things that don't progress your companies or what you do, yeah. how do you prioritize that? So uh, Stephen Covey has a book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that you can use once again for your life, but you can also use in business that will make a huge difference in your life. And he breaks it up into four quadrants. So quadrant one, uh, the, the two sides and, and halves of the quadrants are urgent and important. So everything that you do is either urgent or important. Everything's urgent. <laughs> there you go for you. Everything's there you urgent. go. So that first quadrant is urgent and important things, and those are. Those are the, the the brush fire things that you have to get done. Oh, forgot to pay the rent. You know uh, they're going to shut the doors if I don't. Or forgot to order this 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 product that you know. So that's urgent. You got to take care of that. That's quadrant one. Quadrant three are urgent and unimportant. That's those other people that are pulling at your time, right? Yeah. And you're putting out their urgent fires. Right. It's not important to you, but it's important to them. You know, Kurt, help me out with this, man. And you got the big heart, right? So you want to want to go help those people. And then there's quadrant four, which is your your uh, not urgent and not important. So that's your time with the family. Uh, that it is important. I shouldn't use that that term, but to the less important, right? Yeah. To the business, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's your leisure time, going to a movie, maybe on vacation. Right. And then there's quadrant two. It's not urgent, but important. Right. And that's the most important quadrant. That's where you get your most productivity out of and the way that you use that is you need to look at your business and find out what it is that's important to make your business to make profits for you and focus on those activities as opposed to the brush fires and other people's activities and just chilling out like like we talked about earlier yeah uh, thinking that you've arrived I, I like that man I like that quadrants I'm gonna have to read that book yeah one thing that I say, have said to my employees hey if you have a problem solve it first if you can't solve it bring me three solutions to solve it when you call me Wow. <laughs> you sound like Bill Gates. Right? Bill Gates says something like, uh, to the effect of, if I want something done, uh, I find the laziest person on my staff because they get it done faster in the most efficient way. <laughs> Is that right? Because they want to get back to being lazy. Right. Right? <laughs> I like that, man. Alex, I got like uh, one or two more questions. I think, how are we doing on time, guys? I don't want to yeah. push these guys too far. He's got strong shoulders. I know. You see that? Holding that boom a little bit. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> You asked all of them except uh, top three habits for success. Oh, we, you know, we talked about it. Do so. Do you use those habits yourself? The ones you just talked about, the quadrant, or do if you yeah. had to, if you had to like say my top three habits that I've learned in my career, my life for success um, are. I'm learning the importance of synergy. So kind of like what you said, one of the things that people uh, have a real issue with that start a business that are blue collar entrepreneurs, especially, is asking for help. And that's the ability to, to engage other people and leverage yourself because there's no way that you can actually achieve big things without the help of other people. That's right. And uh, another book, Seven or uh, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, T.R. Becker talks about there's just a difference. There's not, rich people aren't better than poor people, 
they just think differently. Different mindset. Yeah. yeah. Just like what you just said. When I talk to an employee, hey, give me a solution. Solve it, first of all. And I don't even want to hear about it. <laughs> or give me some, three solutions uh, that you bring to me when you, when, you, when you have a problem. That's the ability to leverage it and to inspire other people. And that's literally how you make millions. Uh, you can't make millions on your own effort. It's just very, very difficult. Doctors try it. Lawyers try it. Certain occupations you can do it. Maybe if you're an athlete or a movie star, you can make you know, millions right. on your own right. effort. Right. But for the average person, and when you talk about the business world, it's all about leveraging. So it's your ability to inspire other people, to communicate with other people, and to uh, have other people understand, like you said, that we're all in this together. And your success is my success. And uh, that's, what I've, that's what I've learned probably is the biggest thing. And uh, your ability to ask for help. Um, Humbling enough. Wealthy, pe wealthy yeah. people have no problems with that. Poor people feel like asking for help makes them look weak or uh, insufficient or unintelligent. Right. Um, wealthy right. people understand that. Henry Ford was uh, the guy that uh, never had a high school education but hired all the right people around him. And uh, that's another story. That's a, that's a big court case you might want to Google that. Oh, yeah. Where he sued uh, one, of the, one, of the, uh, one of the newspapers of the day, uh, wrote an article about how incompetent he was. And uh, I believe they used the word ignorant. So that's, that's, wow. that's slanderous, right? Yeah. And uh, he sued him because, uh, and he proved that, uh, no, I don't have book smarts. But I am smart enough to hire the right people That's right. to get the job done. Well, there's a big thing I definitely believe in is uh, resourcefulness. So the difference between success and failure is, whether, you know, when people fail, it's like, oh, I didn't have enough money. I didn't have enough right, good people. I didn't have right. this and that. It's like, well, be resourceful. And if you're resourceful, you will have the resources to succeed. Right? Mm. So, Anthony um, Robbins. Yes. Yeah, yeah. What's up, Reese? Oh, no, we're good. Okay, good. Um, all right, so we've got we've got one question that came in last week when I talked about skin in the game, so we need to answer that question for, sure. uh, who was it for, Alex? It was for Arcanit. Arcanit. Arcanit? Oh, that's his uh, Instagram handle. I do yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the question is, we'd like to hear some detail on what you mean when bringing them in. Do you mean financial buy-in? Mm. Uh, how do you determine who you want to bring in? Right, so last week I talked about skin in the game. I talked about how I have a good, I have a philosophy that uh, it, because I run so many businesses, a serial yeah. entrepreneur, I have too many. It's too many for one man to handle. So I, I really believe that if I take my good employees mm -hmm. and I bring them in by offering them ownership of the company, where they're actually putting money in, yeah. their own money, their own skin in the game, they're gonna care a lot more about that company. Absolutely. Whether it's a hundred bucks or if it's 50,000, it doesn't matter. If you have skin in the game, you're gonna care and you're gonna have ownership and feel like you have ownership. Uh, so with, with that question, the details of that would be, you're gonna know who the right guys are to bring in. Yeah. Uh, obviously look at integrity issues, look at, um, uh, you know, the, the people that you feel can take your company to the next level if they had that extra drive, that extra push of right. skin in the game. Right. And the best way to do that is just open it up and offer whatever they can. I've even done a payment plan where like they pay me monthly on increasing shares of the company. What's Absolutely. your thoughts on that, Mark? Uh, that, I mean, that makes sense. Also, uh, profit sharing um, through over time, once again, using that element of time. So. When we're driving more success, uh, that success could be your success. Uh, there's a lot of companies that are starting to use those type of principles, not necessarily uh, allowing them to to buy in. To buy it's in. It's very controversial to business owners. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's and, and 
I get it because you feel like you put your blood, sweat, and tears in your concept or your ideas. Mm -hmm. But uh, what I've learned is, uh, I think is what you're sharing is, um, I'd rather have a small piece of a lot of pies than a big piece of one pie that may or may not work. Right. That makes sense. So multiple streams of income. And literally what you want to want, ultimately what we all want to get to is multiple streams of passive income. So that is that income. Passive income, just to give you the distinguishing factor, uh, you have linear income, I teach people, trading time for dollars. That's the job, right? Yep. You have residual income where you can trade time for a dollar and continue to get paid on that initial. That's an insurance salesman. You have car insurance, yeah. I, you know, I, I close you on that car insurance, and I continue to get paid every month that you make your payments. The residual, yeah. But I still I have to. Money. I still have to. I still have to maintenance it though. Yeah. Because you may get a new car, or you may have an accident. Yeah. So I don't. I'm not just on the beach. But then there's passive income, which is money that you make, even for doing no work. So that's leveraging. You can either leverage people or money from passive income. Right. So ultimately, we all want to have multiple streams of passive income. And if you're leveraging in the stock market, that's one example of leveraging your money. Yep. Or if you build a business that runs without you, right? And usually that takes time. Creating that asset, creating that machine. That's what you're doing when you're bringing on other people to, to be partial owners. Is eventually, if they if they're good enough, it can allow you to step further and further away from the business and make it more and more passive for you. That's right. And that's what you know. You, you said uh, earlier about how most blue collar or smaller business owners are. They own a job, not a business, right? Yes. And that's why I try to teach. Uh, business owners is you have to remove yourself from the business you have to create that machine make that machine make money for you make that an asset before it's actually a business otherwise you just own a job and it's okay nothing wrong with it but if you really want to be a business owner you have to get the right people remove yourself from that business and let it run as a machine yeah you still got to manage the machine what's the uh, Aesop fable of the golden goose oh what is it's, it it's a great it's a great analogy of the, the, the king actually had this or that the, the pauper finds this goose that's laying golden eggs and uh, that golden egg continues to, uh, that goose continues to leave, uh, the lady's eggs one a day though. Right. So over time he gets a, a bit greedy and he decides, you know something, I'm just gonna cut this goose open and get all the eggs right now. Oh yeah, 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 I remember that fable, yeah. So that's the whole that's concept of, of your business too. Sometimes yeah. if you're not patient enough and understand time value of the dollar and, and, and actually uh, that you don't wanna kill your asset, which is the goose, not the egg. Right. It's the goose. Right. It's not the money you're getting out of it. It's the machine that's it's the producing the machine that's the producing it. And that's in that book, Seven Habits of uh, Highly Effective People as well. Yeah. well this was a good uh, show, yeah. man. Like, we got a lot of good content. For, for nothing that we prepared. That was I know, right? Pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, is there uh, anything else you want to tell the viewers out there? Do we have a question came through? Yeah, we have one question. Okay. Uh, this is from June's Fit. If you were, I think it's towards you, Kurt. If you were a football player, what position would you play? And could you relate that position to anything in business? Oh, man. You know, I played some football. I actually played a little bit of arena football. All right. Nothing. You look like a guy. Right? Uh, and I, I, I really like defense. I love running with the ball. Like, I love having that showy ball and, like, showing right. my moves. But I like hitting. You like hitting people. I like hitting I, people. I can feel that <laughs> even when I sat down here. First time I met you. Yeah, so I was a, a strong safety. That okay. was my favorite position to play. Wow. I got to drop back, do some pass protection, but I got to come up and hit some people. So right. June, I, I love playing strong safety. And you know, I think, uh, and I don't know how it is from level to level of football, but when I played strong safety, had a lot of leadership. Yes. You know, on the team, so 
I would say how I relate that to business is being the captain where I'm steering the ship or I'm pointing the ship in in the direction where it needs to go and rally the team together. And I'm no better than any other member of that team. I'm not above, there's no hierarchy, but I'm just helping point in the right direction. Lots of great strong safeties. And when you you relate it to business, that's a guy that's got got range. So linemen, they're just going to put their hand in the dirt and that's all they can do, really. Uh, as a strong safety, like you said, you can you can actually get the ball in your hand and be that glitz and glamour guy right. on an interception, taking yeah. it to the house. <laughs> or you can come up and lay the hammer on the guy, which is that's that's an awesome position, a great analogy actually. And for um, for business too. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So absolutely, it's great. Well, all right, guys, that is the BCE show. It's the Blue Collar Entrepreneur Show. My guest, Mark Jackson. Man, I had a good time with you today, man. I really appreciate your time. Thanks. And uh, send us some more questions. We'll be here every Wednesday at noon. And thanks for tuning in.